Hey, yo, what's good, Internet? It's the Harvest the Colin Atrophy, and I'm very happy to welcome you to episode 24 of Radio Harvester. The guest this month is Brian E. Bainan from BB and the Blips, from Good Throb, from the Zine Modern Hate Vibe, from an MRR column, from DIY Space for London, from Safe Night Out or Good Night Out. She says the name at the end. Uh, we'll get to that in a sec. I, the point is, Brian e is all over the fucking place doing all kinds of things, and all of them are cool. I have never seen, I've never seen anything she's touched that didn't rule. And she's a huge inspiration to me. And it was a real, I feel really happy that I got to sit down and talk to her. Like, I feel really good about it. And um, it was early in the morning. We were drinking some coffee. I feel like I wish I, there's a lot that I wish I had talked more about. We like kind of start to get into a conversation in the last five minutes that could have lasted another hour. And um, it's a shame we don't have time for that. But I think everything Bryony has to say is so insightful. And she's got such a good critical intellect and such a good facility with language that, like, the way that she describes situations and emotions is just really incredible and relatable. And I hope that you enjoy the conversation. Um, And just a heads up, there is discussion of sexual assault in this interview. So, um, you know, don't. I just don't want anyone caught off guard. Uh, otherwise, yeah, listen, enjoy. Thanks. Yeah, I guess my <laughs> punk origin story is a little bit uh, like circuitous in a way, in that um, I sort of started uh, from a position of more probably like feeling like how punks are supposed to feel <laughs> as a young teenager, but not having the music around it, and then finding um, a thing that didn't necessarily perfectly fit that um what was that thing like uh like very intense metallic hardcore (laughs) it's like extremely moshy um so i think i was like okay here is this thing uh where something is happening and people mostly men i guess are expressing themselves and there's something in this for me but i had like no language around what that was or what it was giving me um but yeah i used to get the train to um a town, yeah, a town, not a city, a town called Newport, which is like the last one on the way out. So the train line in South Wales and the motorway, the freeway go um, from, yeah, the entrance to the country, the proper entrance is kind of at the bottom. Um, and then you can go all the way to Southwest Wales and then everything like the transport just stops and it just turns into tiny windy roads. So I was like towards the end of those tiny okay. windy roads. So it would be like an hour and a, hour and a half like train to get there. But um yeah, I wouldn't, it's funny to think back on it now because I don't think of um, getting involved in that stuff as like particularly personally transformative, but it, because it, on reflection, is a lot of it's like very retrograde in terms of like how they treated people in that scene and who was allowed to do stuff, but even just like being like bearing witness to something very, very different to what I was used to was, um, yeah, probably where I started. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then I moved to um, Brighton, which is um, in the south. Uh, west of England um, which was definitely like a you know 
alternative enclave or whatever. So I went there for university. That's like um, the beach where they had all those street fights. Yeah, yeah, mods and ruckers. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So it was built as a um, uh, as a holiday town for um, a, a mad prince. Um, well, he built it himself, so it doesn't really have any industry. It's all kind of about like partying and the place that people go to get away from things which cool. is yeah cool and weird um yeah and then I guess from there kind of got more involved in like they had an anarchist social center in that town and probably got my first taste of stuff like putting on gigs and um maybe being a bit more of an active participant is there a bridge story anyway in college <laughs> yeah yeah so you came from like like a kind of more remote place that didn't have a mm. And like just kind of access music however you could when you were young, you would say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I guess it was the dawn of sort of, we had Napster. Um, I remember downloading sort of fragments of different songs, yeah. um, which is funny when you hear those songs now, like the song Dead Souls by Joy Division. I was like, heard it the other day and was like, oh, like had like a physical bodily response and then remembered that I'd managed to download like the first like 30 seconds of that song which is not doesn't sound like the rest of it but when i heard that i was like right. this music was very important to me i can't remember why or place it oh yeah it was a mp3 file <laughs> yeah do you think like you said the like early metalcore scene or whatever mm. that you were involved in wasn't <laughs> transformative but do you think it like um like is a foundation that you're you've been working against since in some ways because it seems like a lot of the ideas that you're I associate with you and mm -hmm. your like punk output, whether mm -hmm. it's writing or music, mm. are like kind of really vocally and loudly combating the kind of retrograde notions mm. of mm. metalcore dudes, yeah, essentially yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't mean to imply that you're like stuck in some way. <laughs> Mostly, yeah, I think that would make that make sense. It's mostly like a thing where you have an experience where you don't feel heard or like there's some like barrier. And then for me, um, I think finding ways to uh, either, what do you call that, like retrospectively solve that like in yourself and for other people. Or right. be like, well, it's not going to be like that anymore. And then, um, yeah, I, w I would definitely kind of um, agree that that's been my trajectory. Like I have like very specific memories of like being in a car with like other 16 17 year olds like all boys and being like them talking about starting a band and me being like oh i could play and then just being like this stony silence and then one of them just like laughing so loud like i had made the funniest joke ever um which now that i think about it is like you know not the worst thing that could happen but obviously had an impact because i didn't do a band for a really long time yeah it's so fucked mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah really strange and definitely just like you know i went to those sorts of shows for four or five years and i think i saw one woman playing bass from a belgian metalcore band that i forget the name of but other than that was, there was never ever a woman on stage um, yeah yeah so that not not that you have to be necessarily a participant but i think for you know um yeah for me that was uh yeah like that was it was a big deal to realize oh here is an opportunity you know yeah i mean as grim as like N nyc street punk in the 90s was in terms of like I mean, obviously, we all know now that, like, Jorge from Casualties is a fucking predator, mm, and, like, mm. um, like it wasn't something that you thought twice about, that he was, like, trading your 13-year-old friends, mm. creepers, to watch them take their shirt off or whatever. Yeah, but, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was, like, in his mid-30s, at mm. least, back then. But, like, mm. whatever. As grim as that scene was, there was, like, there was always women at every, playing at every show. Yeah. You know, like, you'd go yeah, see... Yeah. 
like 77 had Renee the guitar player mm. or like the Devochkas would play there was like mm. all these bands the Luna Chicks were playing mm-hmm. and stuff I never even thought about how that like and I went to hardcore shows and yeah. definitely was like a spectator of grim hardcore because I like um the spectacle yeah uh, and always have but I it never like and I I knew about those ideas mm-hmm. from like a, an anthropological or like an yeah. ethnographic mm. perspective mm. as a young person where I was like oh that's what people in Long Island do it's <laughs> like yeah. they they don't let women be involved mm. Mm. Um, yeah. but I never I, I never even thought about how my own how lucky I, or I mean I've thought in a lot of ways about how lucky mm. I was to have come up in the New York punk scenes that I did but I never thought about that as just like something that I took for a given that there was like always strong women involved in like organizational yeah, capacities. Yeah. I don't know if you could say that it's almost like something that has been or had been uh, lost in translation in a way where like the uh, really like unique specificities of how that music like came up in New York and like you know the kind of like different like um, ethnic backgrounds of people that are involved and then you transplant that type of music to. Germany, <laughs> where it's, sure. you know, or, or, yeah, or South Wales for that, for that particular sort of uh, early to mid-2000s moment, and it was kind of like, you know, the sonic aspects were there, but like the things that made that music sound how it sounded are not, were not present in that scene, so it's kind of, I guess, yeah, cross-cultural things where... <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so yeah. then you moved to Brighton to go to college, mm-hmm. you start booking shows, what was the anarchist... Yeah. Um, it's called the Cali Club. It's still there. Um, cool. Yeah, that was definitely pretty transformative for me in terms of like starting to think about like politics and that kind of stuff. Because for better or worse, like there was nothing um, about any of the shows that I had been going to or was like started going to when I first got to Brighton that kind of took it beyond anything of like, oh, this band is playing in this pub and you know that's it. Like right. people didn't really talk about stuff. Um, yeah, and the, the Anarchist Social Centre had like you know, a lot of the worst excesses of those sorts of places that are, um, you know, not necessarily uh, thinking too critically about things, but have like, you know, the stuff on the walls or whatever. So you get to read and learn, even if it's not necessarily put into practice. <laughs> We're doing an interview. <laughs> um, sorry. Yeah. No, that's no, okay. Um, yeah, so I did start kind of going to gigs there and I guess being in um yeah a space like where um yeah there was a library in there and everybody kind of you know did work to the bar for free and they had a kitchen and stuff um i think i sort of caught the bug a little bit about this idea of um you know spaces and what can happen in spaces when you uh are intentional about who's in them and how they work Uh, so that yeah that was definitely very formative for me yeah yeah i think a lot about like I remember talking to John and Megan from Street Eaters mm-hmm. a while ago, and they were talking about this idea. I was like, we were just like talking about our different adolescences and like growing up in the Bay versus New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you know, I loved going to hardcore shows because they felt dangerous. Because mm-hmm. I like have never done masculinity right. And I <laughs> felt like if I didn't, I was like really going undercover into like a realm for only men. Mm-hmm. And if I failed, there would be, I would get beat up. Yeah, you know? yeah. And like, mm. I had to really yeah. pose and figure it out mm. or else like a trial by fire kind of situation. Yeah, and, absolutely. And John was like, oh man, that sucks. Like I grew up <laughs> seeing blats uh-huh. and like, <laughs> 
that also felt dangerous, but it felt like we were all getting together to be dangerous towards those kind of men. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like kind of mm. being dangerous as a community or like making a space dangerous for people that want to harm you and your mm. friends mm. as opposed to like uh, a dwarves show or yeah. something where it's just like, <laughs> yeah. this just sucks mm. and is like violent and is ignorant and mm. just like violent for violence's sake. Yeah, you know what I yeah, mean? Seems sure. like there's something really compelling about that mm. to me. Yeah, definitely. I would say, I guess the... Um, Oh, yeah, I really relate to the idea of, I guess, going into um, spaces which are either, like, yeah, socially or, like, physically high stakes in terms of, like, okay, I have to somehow um, prove myself in this situation, um, even when that situation is, like, you know, sitting with a group of, like, older punk men in the pub <laughs> or something where they are all, like, you know, um, yeah, I'm into crass or whatever, and then having to kind of prove my self in terms of knowing like what records they're talking about or whatever uh -huh. you know i think there's like there's something simpler in a way about the physical thing of um you know i want to be in the space and watch this band and uh you know there's certain ways that i'm allowed and or not allowed to behave um as a woman and then you have a similar thing but in a different way where it's sort of like your um status or worth is being proved on the basis of like your knowledge of certain records and um yeah i don't know i think for a long time that was like a big thing for me that was like i need to know more or as much as or more the most informed person about this type of music or else i'm not going to be taken seriously and kind of relaxing into being like actually i don't know that record no i've never heard that it's only a very recent thing for me and i'm like coming to my mid-30s you know yeah <laughs> so, i still don't do that sometimes mm, and it's like mm. yeah i'm gonna be 36 in mm. two months and, and like, I who still... knows everything about punk you know i have to know everything ever to be into a thing <laughs> like, yeah otherwise why keep being into it it's like when you you know if you completed that level surely you'd move on <laughs> right the joy of discovery or mm, yeah like i did this really good thing when i was um a teen where i was like the beatles fucking suck <laughs> yeah, right and yeah. i like did all these and like mostly it was because like my mom was very adamantly anti-beatles mm -hmm. but also um like my school teachers, my classmates, mm. my like friend's dad who was a Episcopal priest, <laughs> my friend's mom who was a El Salvadoran immigrant who cleaned houses, mm. universally were like, how can you say the Beatles suck? Oh, and I was wow, just okay. like, yeah, they're fucking awful. <laughs> um, and I was like a brat, you know, I was a fucking yeah. brat when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And, but the, the real gift of that was that I never actually listened to the Beatles. And <laughs> yeah. so like, when I was like 27 or 28, I got to listen to the Beatles and be like, maybe they don't suck. This rules, yeah. Maybe yeah. like, maybe some of these George Harrison records are cool mm. or whatever. Hell and yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> it made me, ha having a chance to, and I, I think I closed myself off to a lot of stuff mm, when I was young. Definitely. That I then gave me the opportunity to actually discover mm. it later mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. in a way that was like, kind of like delayed gratification. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like the lesson to learn from that is that like the joy of learning about a new thing and being mm. excited about a thing is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So why would we take that away from ourselves by pretending to already know about everything? Absolutely. Which I don't think is like the kind of similar thing with like the weird, um, I guess, binary around, yeah, being a person who came up through like a very... Um, 
physical, uh, muscular, very simplified form of, of uh, you know, like metallic hardcore or whatever, and then going to a city that was like the direct inverse of that in terms of like, you know, very crusty, very aware, very let's have lyric sheets, that kind of thing. I always was sort yeah. of defending one type of um, uh, universe to the other in a way. So I always kind of like sat myself in the middle and been like, actually, there's probably awesome aspects of both of these things. And you don't necessarily have to, um, you know, close yourself off to one. Um, yeah, you can kind of travel between between the two and between, you know, the many more worlds of, of punk and hardcore that there are. Um, but I think people increasingly are happy to do that more these days. I think yeah. that binary is not as there as it used to be because of the internet and various other things. But, yeah, thank yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, were you doing zines already in Brighton? Mm, so, um, no, I started doing zine in last year, oh, the last like couple of months like of leaving Brighton. Um, and I, so I was, I was in a relationship with somebody who was very much in, steeped in the hardcore, capital H, hardcore universe, but then getting increasingly involved in, you know, the Anarchist Social Center and that sort of stuff. And then that ended and it was like immediately then that I, you know, did my first band and started doing fanzine, which is, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in terms of like, what might have been holding me back there? Um, yeah, uh, and the zine, I kind of, yeah, I wrote it like over um, over a weekend and it was like nothing sort of, um, nothing too deep in there. But I remember the response to, because that was like the first thing that I did kind of moving from being like, you know, a consumer to a producer yeah. of stuff. And the response was like ridiculous. People were very, very irritated that, uh, that this thing had come out that was like, you know, even in small, like sarcastic ways, like, you know, holding up a mirror to stuff that was going on or that the idea that like a you know young-ish woman in the scene would like narrate uh stuff or like have a have a um you know musical judgment about things was seen as like this is outrageous what is she trying to do <laughs> even the first like i remember the second issue when i'd moved to london i heard that like some women older women in like the more like yeah, the, the hardcore scene um, in London had had like a sort of meeting about it where they'd been like, what are we going to do about this? <laughs> you know? Which is wild. And that was only like 2008. So. What could you do? I mean, yeah. what would there be to do? <laughs> I think the idea was that I was um, speaking out of turn or like kind of, uh, you know, had like um, ideas above my station in terms of like you as this person are too peripheral somehow to something to be able to, um, you know, have a have an organ of a discussion huh. even though it's like a fucking fanzine <laughs> like it's so yeah weird. that's the whole point of it yeah, is yeah, that yeah. like anybody gets to do one mm, mm. yeah i guess around that time there was either we had uh i guess it was the tail end of maybe like fracture magazine that was sort of like a uk version of maximum for a little bit uh-huh. um that was yeah obviously like quite a, a, a big thing done by multiple people and then it wasn't really there were um like you know um, fanzines about like brewing your own soap or whatever, but uh, or, or fanzines about like um, uh, I don't know, like Belgian like two-stepping hardcore. But there was kind of like nothing um, that was like silly and weird and sarcastic. So I think people responded right. to that and are like, "What the fuck is this?" sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it was funny, a funny time for sure. But I think the fact that I got that mad response made me go like, "Oh, whoa!" So this isn't just going to be something that everyone's going to ignore, which had been my ultimate fear, was like, what's the point of, of writing anything and putting it out into the world if um, nobody's pissed off with it? <laughs> what's the point of writing anything and putting it out in the world if nobody's... Oh, right. Yeah. So you're like, there's still something bratty. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I've, yeah. I'm, I'm moved to write things when I have a point to make, or I was for a long time, and then I feel like now I've mellowed to the point where like I'm moved to write things where I feel like there's like a really... 
um, a moment that has like hooked into me into a different way where like multiple senses kind of come together and I'm like, oh wow, I had like a physical response to a thing that that person just said or something I just saw. And then that kind of like will go into my memory bank as like, oh, I want to write down how that felt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm like trying to figure out what my voice is now. Like, mm. I think I had a, a voice when I was young that I didn't think about, and I was just like really drunk all the time, mm-hmm. and just like it's like I'm drunk and mm-hmm. I party mm-hmm. and I write stuff, mm-hmm. and I didn't really give it a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. And then I did the pizza magazine, which was like this really deliberate thing, and it kind of got all this momentum of its own. Yeah, and it perpetuated itself, mm. right? Like it had, it created the energy to keep itself going. Mm. And then when it was over, I was like, what, who even, I was like, in, also in like a pretty unhealthy relationship with a person that like really didn't want me to be a public figure of any kind. Right, yeah. I think, and like was really nervous and insecure about stuff like that. Mm. And um, that may, I like, was just like, okay, whatever you say in, yeah, in, in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I forgot how to, I forgot what I want to say or mm-hmm. like why it's worth me saying mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's funny to think about like when I was a, I never thought about my motivation to write when I was a kid. Mm. Like I haven't even thought about it in retrospect. Right, yeah. And it's just something I did. I was mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not going to be in a band. I'm going to do this fanzine. Mm. But then I, I started being in bands too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting to hear you talk about how like these kind of well-formed ideas about what you were thinking and what you, was motivating you. Like mm. it's really inspiring for me to hear. I guess because it was like a a thing of feeling like I was a big barrier, and then that barrier was kind of, I guess, forcibly removed. Um, and so being like, whoa, now I can kind of do anything, and the responses right. to that are not going to be. I mean, it was. It wasn't an abusive relationship at all, but he cheated on me. And I remember being like, fucking hell, I've made all this effort to do exactly what this person wants, which now in retrospect, I'm like, doesn't sound particularly like respectful as a relationship. But but I was, yeah, I was so angry that I'd made all this effort to not um, speak out of turn or to kind of like have, uh, you know, demonstrate the right opinions on hardcore and who's cool and who's not cool. And then this thing had happened anyway. And it kind of felt like, well, fuck it. I may as well have a go and, you know, do what I want. And who gives a um, shit? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the first band that I did, um, I only was able to like get across that line because I was so like, you know, if I'm going to do a band, it has to sound like mad ball and I have to suddenly be able to play bass or something or whatever, none of which is ever going to happen. Right. Um, and yeah, the woman who convinced me to start this like very weird two bass, like power violence band called Backstabbeth that played four shows, um, was like at the time, like really into doing, she was like, a, like making like tape loop, like noise stuff. And she uh-huh. basically convinced me by being like, it'll be like, it's a performance art project. It's not a band, it's not hardcore. And like, I can only do it by sort of taking it out of the context of punk. And then obviously it was like, you know, the most punk thing ever. Right, you just put it right back into the <laughs> yeah, context of yeah. punk. Um, yeah, so it's funny how that goes. But yeah, those sorts of experiences, I think, definitely still absolutely motivate me when I think about like yeah. trying to re-invent um, that moment for other people and be like, you can do this. It's a piece of piss. And we should be way past the point of having to have that conversation of enabling people to make bands, but those barriers are still there. So yeah, it's crazy do. that they're still there. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, they so clearly are. Mm-hmm. Also, in subtle ways, I think. Subtler ways than they were, you know, no, like maybe less people are getting laughed 
like laughed at in their face if they when they say they want to do a man but more people are you know maybe getting side-eyed about like oh that's nice that you're having a go or whatever like subtle stuff that still absolutely does stop people from participating yeah passive aggressive mm. kind of barriers of entry yeah um fuck <laughs> so you're so you do this first thing you, the first band was in london uh, the first band was in Brighton. Yeah, yeah. We played four shows. Um, one of them was with One Hundred Eight. <laughs> They're like nineties um, kind of. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I guess they were they were touring. Um, wow. Which was which was weird. Um, and then yeah, a couple of them. One of them was in a weird barn uh, where we stopped the set halfway through and did it again. <laughs> um, yeah, we yeah. It was just like a, a funny sort of experimental moment, but definitely gave me gave me the keys, which was cool. Yeah. Mm. Um, what was the first scene called? Like, what was modern this? hate vibe? Yeah, it's just oh. I've only ever had one. Just cool. always done the same name. Yeah, <laughs> that rules. Mm-hmm. And then, so you moved to London. You're still involved in punk. Mm-hmm. How did you? Why did you move to London? Did you know people um, there? Brighton's quite weird because it's on the sea, um, and you're it's sort of this enclave, but there's not really like you sort of basically to get out you have to just leave leave like you don't really move somewhere like nearby and then go in um and i'd increasingly started going to shows in london and um i think yeah had had graduated and was kind of like there's a lot of people that go to uni in london uh, go to uni in brighton and then end up getting stuck there for five years and it's sort of it's such a party town that people don't necessarily like get to where they need to be um by their own admission so i didn't want to do that so yeah just get out yeah yeah and i started working in london and then pretty quickly um got to a point where i was like okay so i've identified the things that i want to be different here yeah (laughs) um so i'm gonna do some stuff to do them so i started like putting on mixed bill like benefit shows in um squats like at the tail end of there being squats in london before it got made illegal right Um, yeah which was a really cool time what were you doing for work? Um, what did I? I think I initially had like <laughs> had like an internship at this weird agency that did like uh, like PR stuff, um, which yeah was like very. Uh, I basically was like, "Fuck! I have to have some job because London is so expensive." Right. Um, and I knew that I could write, and they were like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, copywriting, copy editing." So I did that oh, no shit. for a little bit, and then I think I did it for nearly a year, um, and. Yeah, kind of had like a, a wilderness moment where like those people party really hard because their lives are fairly empty. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and then, yeah, kind of fell in with a crowd of um, punks that were also doing a similar thing. So there was like, yeah, my my dark winter season, as I refer to it, where sure. things were um, pretty, uh, pretty hectic. And then, yeah, I realized like, oh, I need to go back to school. I want to like learn some more stuff. So I did that. Um, yeah, and then I think yeah, around that time was the first time I came on tour to the US with another band, like not the one that I was playing in. Um, but yeah, that was like a big moment in terms of seeing like all these cities that I'd never been to and meeting yeah. all these people and being like, whoa, the world is really big. And that was when I got my maximum column and that kind of on that US up, tour. But, um, slightly before actually, I want like. I went to San Francisco, like just on a whim with a friend and I had a couple of the zines with me um, and someone had asked me to like do some punk posts, like bring some singles over and give them to Brace Belden. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> he was writing for Maximum yeah. and I dropped one of the zines in with the parcel and he, um, I guess, took it back to the MRR compound and left yeah. it there and then Layla found it and emailed me and was like, you should write a column. 
cool. Yeah. <laughs> Quite an analog She's so way. Cool. Yeah, the coolest. <laughs> yeah, for real. Mm. I yeah. feel like, yeah, I, I have this tendency to like. Um, it's like funny that I never finished college because I have this tendency to track, uh, like, generations of punk, uh, like cultural producers <laughs> via like, um, almost like advisory mm. lineages. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I talked to Golnar about this a bunch because I feel like we were both. Um, we were both advised in early punk by Mimi. Right, yeah, yeah. From mm-hmm. Evolution of a Race Riot. Mm. Like, Mimi and I were pen pals since I was 14 or mm. something, you know? And it just, like, my friendship with her, I, I've said it so many times and I can't say it enough times. Really, whatever, like, and she's always like, oh, no, you've always been cool. But, like, whatever, <laughs> like, grim alternate timeline where, like, the patriarchy succeeded mm. at ruining me, <laughs> like, that was averted in such large part yeah. due to my mm. friendship with her, you mm. know, and my relationship with her. And I feel like I think about, um, I think about Layla as like a similar figure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where like, I remember getting the skin teen Raul mm. split mm-hmm. and hearing that for the first time and just being like, what the fuck yeah. is this? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck absolutely. is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I read, uh, like, heard of the raincoats first, um, despite being from from the UK, by reading her columns that were, like, talking about something to do with California, and then the way that it was, like, soundtracked through this, like, very British uh, cultural, like, milieu and upbringing that she had had, and, yeah, it was really, like, resonated with me as somebody who listened to a lot of music from... Uh, California as a as a youth <laughs> and right. then kind of going back and being like oh fuck like actually like Huggy Bear was happening at the same time as I was listening to like the Punkorama compilations like, sure. you know? <laughs> or maybe slightly before but um, yeah she definitely is somebody who uh, has really influenced me just in terms of like opening up this whole like lost history of like um, cool like girl queer punk that existed in the world that a lot of people didn't have any clue about um for like the, you know when I was um, coming up, and I would say like the same with Golnar has always been someone who's like obviously such a genius, but has like yeah. challenged me in ways where um, she leaves open this space for um, critiquing the ideas that are coming out of somebody's mouth or that they're writing, but not in a way where you feel like in any way shut down from like progressing your idea onwards. You know, like there's often so much pressure to try and. Um, have a fully formed idea, especially in the you know the era of hot takes that we exist in. Right. Um, but I've also always felt so like just being around Ghana and and people like her kind of has given me this way of being like okay, like I think I have this idea and I feel okay to like say that and then have that be the beginning of a conversation where by the end of that conversation I might be in a totally different place. Um, and yeah, just that. Uh, mode of like talking and being and um discussing that she has is like massively like profoundly influenced how i think about you know we need to keep changing people's minds that's the point of doing stuff right writing thinking talking um and i think yeah too often these days it's more about like well here's my opinion and that's it you know yeah 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 (laughs) whereas dialogue is so generative yeah yeah i I saw zoe leonard uh Mm. speak the other day Mm -hmm. um becca brought me to this thing at the like for the carnegie international Mm -hmm. and um it was kind of like a poorly organized event, but the um, there was like a Q. It was put on by the Carnegie Mellon Art School. It was mm. like an MFA program, mm. and the, there was a Q and A afterwards where the 
this professor from the art school was like, well, so you're here talking to all these young artists, but like you dropped out of high school and they're all in MFA programs. Like what, what was your trajectory mm. to being like a real art, like an actual working artist? Mm. Mm. And Zoe was kind of like, well, I mean, let's talk about the, like, first of all, I have a GED. All right? yeah. <laughs> and she was like, and second of all, like the context was different. People weren't getting MFAs when mm. I was mm. at that age. But she was like, or I think the, the question was like, what's the, something about like, what was the basis of her artistic practice or something? Right. And she was basically just like, go to school or not, but re- literally the most important thing you can do is talk to your friends. Yeah. Just yeah. like hang out and talk to your mm. friends about the ideas that are exciting to you. Disagree. Mm. Don't hate each other over yeah, it. Yeah, like, absolutely. Just be willing to have an idea and try to stick to it and then change your mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And don't be a dick, you yeah, know, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And it was so, it was something I really needed to hear, I think, because mm. part of like f- having felt sort of isolated from community for a few years mm. is that I just forgot about just the simple fact that like sitting in this room with you right mm-hmm. now, we're going to have this conversation. I'm going to put it on the internet. Some people are going to listen to it, but it's also, even if we weren't recording it, this is going to generate ideas for both of us in the hours and days to yeah, come yeah, in a way absolutely. that is like really fruitful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do, I do worry that with a lot of our um, movement towards like discourse and discussion being so uh, online or like, I mean, that's been coming for, you know, has been for a long time, but like the way that, political ideas, especially in these, again, like very, very high stakes time around that, like um, uh, you're almost kind of encouraged, or I feel like sometimes I have been encouraged to um, develop my thinking or position on an idea quietly myself, by myself, by reading things and going, okay, um, right, well, I think this person is right, or like this bit resonates, that seems sensible. And then reading this other thing, and it's all so in isolation because you're so fucking terrified of like typing or writing or saying something that might be problematic, um, not because you're being hateful or bigoted, but because you don't know or haven't thought about a particular um, you know, route to an idea or an answer. And then we don't have the people around us so much anymore, or younger people maybe don't so much anymore, who can be like, oh, that's a really interesting point. Something you can maybe think about that um, you know, think about around that is like this idea and does that change your thinking um, right. rather than like, that's fucked, you know, you're cancelled, like this is the worst thing ever, that's racist or that's sexist and like those are valid critiques but when they're put across in that way I do worry that we're like really, um, yeah, shutting people down from having that, uh, you know, yeah, that growth and that movement. Um, yeah, the opportunity to learn. Yeah, yeah. I feel like part of what was so um, like impactful about my like pen pal and it was mostly like actually over email Mm. and live journal but Mm -hmm. my like Mm -hmm. my early kind of um epistolary relationship with Mimi was that she would just kind of gently push back Mm. if I was like parroting because there was some like kind of proto MRA concepts going around the like uh US zine world in the 90s okay yeah um I'm thinking specifically of the zine from Fort Worth, Texas Mm -hmm. by this guy, Robert, uh, that was like, it was just like, I think it was called Losers Are Cool. Okay. And it was like, it came out a lot. There was a lot of words in Mm -hmm. it. And it was kind of this like sad sack, I am (laughs) entitled to women's bodies, essentially was like the thesis of it. Wow. 
Um, and like the world is unfair because these popular jocks get all the chicks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like couched in some like vaguely countercultural narrative, mm. there was some like Bukowskiist bullshit. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm, gosh, and yeah. <laughs> and you know, and he was like really, I think, interested in sharing that idea with young. He was in his late twenties or early thirties, mm. probably. And I was like, you know, fourteen or fifteen. Mm. He was just like read a review in Fact Sheet Five and was like, "Yeah, that sounds cool. Mm. I feel like a loser. Yeah. And I'm cool. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. order this zine, yeah. you know." And I think there was like ways that some of those ideas would be like creeping into my way of thinking. Mm. And instead of being like, "You're fucked up," mm. which like again, totally valid yeah, response. Yeah. But I feel like there was like older, kind of more thoughtful, cooler women in my life who were just like. Maybe you should think about that, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I feel really, like, constantly grateful for mm. that. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I feel um, exactly the same way in the context of, like, um, having been offered a, a lens through the generosity of, of lots of very, like, more patient than they, um, you know, should have needed to be uh, people of colour that have, like, you know, been around me and ch definitely challenged me on things where I've been like, oh, fuck, like, I completely hadn't thought about it. Some of the subtleties of the ways that um, talking about certain things or even just like physically being in um, spaces and that's been like a more recent conversation, I guess, where not that you can separate like, oh, I have, you know, these women who happen to be women of colour of, you know, doing this work for me around feminism and then this, I guess, not yeah. what I mean. But um, yeah, I think there's it's um, a difficult one because the idea, I guess, of us sort of um, propounding the benefits of like, oh, it's amazing that we, you know, have these positive influences but then I guess uh, contemporary discourse would say they shouldn't have to do the work for you you should educate yourself which like I love seeing that because it's like yeah definitely educate yourself but also that's a really lonely journey for people and like I'm, yeah. I'm very happy to do the work of like talking to people who aren't like holding their beliefs really really tightly and who want to be challenged and like think about stuff um, you know in the context particularly of our our current Me Too moment and all of that sort of thing, there's loads of conversations around that. I just have um, probably, yeah, as much capacity as I physically can because I feel like it's, um, you know, the one thing that you can do to move things forward. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Oso was one of the first people that was like, I think the idea of forcing people to educate themselves is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> that I was like, are you allowed to say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. It's like the whispered, hushed tones. Yeah. Like but she said it into this mic that you were oh, wearing yeah. on like an episode of this pot. Like, you know, where I was interviewing <laughs> her and she was just legend. like, yeah. yeah, she was just like, I mean, I get it and I think it's whatever. Mm. Everybody should do what they want. We're all anarchists, whatever, mm. blah, blah, mm. blah. But I don't think that's going to be helpful in the long mm. run to anyone. And ultimately, we all have the energy to do a little bit of work. Yeah, absolutely. Towards making the world better. And, you know, any effective, like, political education is always, like, communal. Like, history yeah. shows that we don't learn alone. Um, yeah, so I think there is something that we need to be pushing back on that. But it is really hard because if you... It's very hard to uh, even, yeah, type think, say, any of these kinds of ideas without being... Um, yeah, maybe slipping into stuff that looks like uh, asking other people to do the work or maybe being like, I think I'm guilty sometimes of being so like positive and good faith arguments around things that I don't um, challenge stuff when it is insidious. And obviously there's a line around that, but I do really worry that we're going a little bit down the path um, of, yeah, not uh, not allowing people to um, 
yeah, uh, grab onto the possibility or opportunity for changing their opinions without it being seen as like, oh, well, that's not what you thought two months ago. It's like, good, I'm glad, that's the right. point, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We're all constantly growing <laughs> yeah. and thinking and changing. I hope so. Yeah. Mm. And I think there's a difference between being like, uh, you get a pass on your Twitter account having been all rape jokes mm. 10 years ago mm. versus like, mm. you know what I mean? Like, I think there are, and, and not even that like, maybe that person can still have mm. a good idea today mm. and have done some mm. deep thinking or whatever. But mm-hmm. like, I think there's a, there's, people are so, I think, fervent now mm-hmm. that sometimes there's like, the um what it takes for someone to be like a fucked up problematic figure yeah is just like i think becoming less and less mm, mm. you know yeah, and like yeah. to be like oh no you don't fuck with that person because mm. they said this one thing that mm-hmm. maybe is fucked up but like yeah. maybe is just misinterpreted or maybe yeah. it's just poorly thought out mm. i've been thinking about that a lot recently in the context of like the way that um because there is so much like you know incredible horrible like severe horrendous like deathly violence in the world the way that like um it can feel like we uh, do the work within what we're capable of doing of challenging the small things that are within our reach versus like actually having to face the like really deep horrendously fucked up scary violent shit so you know in a an example context might be the way that uh people might feel mobilized and um effective in challenging someone that they perceive to be um, a rape apologist for not having taken the right position on something but would feel far too um, ineffective and scared to maybe challenge or have a conversation with someone who has like used violence in a relationship sure. um, and I think that comes from a place of like yeah simple humanity that like the unspeakable can feel really scary but then we want to make change around it but we like just fiddle around the edges and I guess what I'm interested in doing and what my work is all about is like if we give people better tools to challenge the other stuff here then we don't lose um lose their energy and end up targeting the person who hasn't actually done um you know the real like uh, yeah i feel like so often the public fallout of like a big call out ends up being like a bunch of women Mm -hmm. arguing with each other and like i i should say i mean sometimes women are being called out (laughs) yeah yeah i don't mean to like but in my experience doing accountability work mm. for like a decade, I would say 90% of the yeah. perpetuators were men. Mm. Um, and so I just like, I don't mean to be kind of heterocentric, but that's just kind of what, what yeah. my experience it's has extreme, fallen into. And like, yeah. in my experience, when like a public man, like a prominent man gets called out, oftentimes that man just like deletes Facebook for six months mm-hmm. and in the process because the survivor now feels voiceless they start taking it out on like mm. any of that man's female friends or whatever yeah. in this yeah. way that like is maybe misdirected but also it's just like so unfortunate that mm. the way that male violence ends up just like turning into women destroying each other's lives yeah absolutely absolutely it's extremely insidious and I, and I think trying to identify that with people and sort of I get yeah get people to understand that like uh being in the proximity of a person who's caused harm or being in their social group or maybe even saying things verbally that minimize what they did is not the same thing as acting that violence out and like right. it's not a 
um, yeah, that it's all right for there to be spectrums or to be, um, you know, different ways of, of dealing with things. And it does really concern me that, yeah, the, the big A word is being used in ways that I'm just like, what do you, what, like, what does that mean for you at this point when you say like, he needs to be accountable. It's like, well, what, what are we talking about anymore? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's really, really challenging. But it's also fun, like, or it's, I don't know, it's nerve wracking for me because I remember being, you know, like 23 or whatever and trying mm. to call out, be involved in calling out this dude in uh new york thaddeus he's still around <laughs> mm-hmm. doing anarchist shit with 22 mm-hmm. year olds um it is never ending mm-hmm. we tried to call him out so many times mm-hmm. nothing ever came of it mm-hmm. um and during the first kind of account like accountability circle i think is what we did yeah he brought these women with him one of whom is a literal lawyer Whoa. and one of whom is just like a a bully mm. um who like usually is a bully for good yeah and they and they both did everything they could to just shut down the conversation mm. at every mm. juncture and then afterwards they like kind of pulled me and my friends aside and were like listen we get it we think it's cool what you're doing uh that you care and stuff mm. like keep that up but like a this is our friend, don't fuck with him. And B, like, what you're calling abuse, what you're calling assault or whatever, that's not that. Oh, God. Mm. And it's just not that big a deal. And you're making too big a deal out of it. And both of them, both of those women have subsequently kind of flipped on him and mm. are like kind of vocal yeah. um, critics of his. And I think, you know, we can all relate to being in the sway of like a manipulative charismatic charmer of course yeah um so i don't have any bad feelings towards either Mm, of them but mm. like there was all these conversations that were like with like especially older punks that were like uh you know he not not to get i guess i won't get too graphic but there was like he he sexually assaulted multiple people Mm. but it wasn't like P and V sexual mm, assault. Mm, yeah. And older people were like, and specifically like a few older prominent anarchist women in New York were like, I suffered actual abuse mm, and uh, you little yeah, brats yeah, are yeah. trying to turn this mm. thing that's not as bad as what happened to me yeah. into um, something traumatic when it shouldn't be. And I get scared sometimes when I feel critical of the ways that like a younger generation is characterizing fucked up behavior or whatever that i'm continuing that cycle that i've like stepped into the Mm. older Mm. people's role where i'm like and i feel like i have a more thoughtful critique than they did yeah but i feel i'm very insecure about that Mm. like i feel Mm. really nervous that it's not does it does it make sense what i'm saying yeah completely i think the fact that you acknowledge that that's a a possible tendency is something to like calm your nerves around it though because like it absolutely is a thing and when I feel like extremely alienated from a, a conversation that I'm reading where I'm just like Jesus Christ what why are these people so annoyed this isn't even a problem or this could be solved with an apology I do always try and like temper that um a little bit but I also think there is something to be said for like um uh, yeah, being able to locate um, harm on a spectrum and acknowledge that like some, some stuff that doesn't seem bad for me might be much worse for this other person because maybe they've experienced other shit in the past that hasn't been dealt with. Um, 
but yeah, to, to the thing about, um, I guess, people uh, minimising um, abuse because they see a bigger fallout happening um, around it than ever happened for what happened to them, that, yeah. that, that thing. Um, that's like so, so common. And I think like being able to name that and say um, that you have, I guess, yeah, you have the, the option to do that or you have the option to say that you stand in solidarity with this person or, you know, that that's not good. Um, but what I suppose, what I would always say is that like the fact that there is so much um, unacknowledged harm and a lot of like unprocessed trauma makes it even more difficult then when we start to see these sea changes or there are these kind of like dam breaking moments whether it's me too or anything else in any other right. community where how do you push that forward whilst also including all the other people that you know long ago had to leave their shit behind in order to you know find a way to get on with their lives but still hold that bitterness because I think the the bitterness is completely um like valid and finding ways to like metabolize that bitterness that don't end up just shitting on other people that are maybe younger or who are coming up with a different set of standards or maybe a value system that is um yeah more either hardline or nuanced around this stuff however right. you want to put it um yeah I would like I'd like to think that we can hopefully do both it is like incredibly hard but um yeah I yeah, absolutely would put myself in the category of someone who has had um yeah has had experiences and then now I'm like wow if that had happened yesterday instead of 10 years ago I know that I would have a community of people who would be able to put language to my experience for me um who would be able to say hey we should talk to this person or would be able to at least like believe me or you know whatever right. um and yeah you I guess have the option to be someone who uses that experience to say, well, what happened to me is worse than what happened to this kid who's saying they've been abused, so that can't be right. Or you have the option to say, wow, isn't it amazing that things have moved on to a point where now people do realize that consent is not just a hard verbal no, you know, right. uh, you know, not having consent. Yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, I suppose it's uh, yeah a big option for people to be considering and giving them as many options as possible is good. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Mm. I think. We should probably start wrapping up because yeah. we want to get going. But um, can we just briefly touch on the work that you do professionally in yeah. um, London? Because I feel mm -hmm. like when you were talking about um, like people scared to like people working within their community versus dealing with uh, or like I think you were talking about uh, like calling out a rape apologist mm. versus an actual rapist. Yeah. But before you had um, explained that um analogy mm. i immediately thought like oh right like how me and my friends did work only in anarchist communities mm. and you took that same work and brought it out to like other people mm. and to me that feels so scary to try to explain to like just a square <laughs> or like some like burger records bro or whatever oh, okay, that yeah. like <laughs> you don't get to just party mm. and there's stakes to it mm. um mm. And I feel like, do you want to just briefly explain what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, I guess, yeah, my uh, journey with that is kind of the inverse in that I um, came to sort of doing this work by like volunteering at, on a rape crisis helpline and then um, doing some sort of activism stuff around um, street harassment and that kind of thing. And then I ended up working as uh, or getting a job as a kind of uh, training facilitator at um, a rape and sexual abuse support centre where my role um was and is again um going out into 
schools, universities, colleges, um, social workers, lawyers, different places, um, you know, places of business, whatever, and um, facilitating kind of, yeah, professional development sessions or just workshops or whatever it might be um, around sexual violence, around consent, around childhood sexual abuse, around um, responding to disclosures and that kind of thing. Um, it's not obviously doing that work coming from uh, a community-based anarchist lens. It's kind of coming from a, you know, um, almost clinical community of practice type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I have almost had these two parallel journeys where, yeah, very much being involved in um, you know, punk universe and doing that sort of stuff and then doing this other work in my professional life and it was only really like when I brought those two things back together was when we opened the DIY space in uh -huh. London and I was like, okay, and I've noticed in the sort of in the ether that there are places and people who've been doing this work, like primarily what I was aware of was in the US and in Australia where there was community accountability stuff, models happening and your work is absolutely part of that. Um, and it was yeah only at that point that I thought, well, the fact that I have this knowledge from working in a in a women's sector around this stuff, um, and I've seen that there are um, you know models that exist in in punk and radical communities, maybe there's a way to bring those two things together. That's like the best of both aspects of them. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I've been sort of pretty focused on that. And then I guess coming out of that was this idea of like the way that physically being in a room with um, people and giving them just like really small, easy ways to, yeah, understand and respond to a disclosure or to do, um, you know, better stuff in say like a, a music venue. Um, the Good Night Out campaign uh, stuff that we started basically came out of this idea of uh, training bar staff in licensed premises in bars, clubs, etc., to be able to respond if a sexual assault happens. Um, and to you know understand like the barriers that exist for a person and why they might not come forward. So I sort of do, um, I guess, have a few different hats around that. But yeah, it's very much about bringing, I guess, the best of all of those worlds together and like throwing out the bad parts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's so amazing. I've like watched, I've, you know, plotted your trajectory from mm -hmm. afar mm -hmm. uh, as like in whatever ways you write and share about it. And it's mm -hmm. been such an inspiration. Oh, thank you so much. Um, it's really funny. Two, I think this is too long a conversation to start now, yeah. but <laughs> it's, okay. it's really funny too that it was the the US and Australia is both where these ideas seem to be generating from mm. because I, I don't know about there, but in in the US a lot of the um, like foundational work around transformative justice was done by this group Generation 5, which yeah. is like an indigenous mm. activist group. Yeah. And I wonder... I feel like Australia is another like colonized place yeah, in a absolutely. similar way. And I yeah. wonder if there's a correlation there. It's yeah. just like, I'm just wondering. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Between notions of justice that mm. existed in like more, uh, maybe like matriarchal mm. or like egalitarian cultures mm -hmm. that existed pre-colonization. Yeah. Certainly know? something that I've seen acknowledged in Australia when I've talked to people who've been doing that work for a long time that they always bring it back to this is a mode of thinking about um, abuse and thinking about uh, righting wrongs and healing and other things that absolutely comes from um, indigenous communities. And I'm yeah, always very keen to try and foreground that in, in the stuff that we do and, and not kind of whitewash it for convenience or anything else. Yeah, mm. it's just something I never, th I mean, I've thought about it in the US context, but yeah. I never thought about it in like an mm. international mm. context. Mm. I think it comes back to what you were saying before, uh, what is that song called, Shame? Shame job, yeah. Shame job mm -hmm. at the show last night. Where mm. It's just like kind of drawing the similarities between um, 
here and there in that yeah, regard. Yeah. But I think this is, again, too much of a conversation to <laughs> next begin. Time. Yeah, next time. <laughs> 55 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, cool. Do you have anything else you want to say on a podcast? Um, no, just thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to finally physically make your acquaintance after yeah. so long non-physically. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really happy to no longer be puffs of, yeah. uh, puffs of smoke yeah, on an we astral are plane. real. <laughs> cool. All right. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to Bryony for being on the episode. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to LaCara Occulta for recording the theme song. Thanks to BB and the Blips for recording that last song we heard, which was Shame Job off the album Shame Job on Thrilling Living Records. Get it. It's really good. Um, no thanks to fucking transphobia. No thanks to the heteropatriarchy. No thanks to the politicians in office right now trying to legislate my friends out of fucking existence. I don't even know. I It's hard to talk about anything. But um, shit sucks. Fuck fascists. Let's get together and destroy them. Uh, no cops, no creeps. Peace in the pizzeria. I'm out.